Hello, hang up and listen. Listeners, you probably know me. If you don't, this is Josh Levine, your host. I am here because we have a special presentation in our feed this week. We have a new show at Slate. It's called Man Up. And the first episode is great. And it's also relevant to folks who like uh, our show. So um, I'm here with Eamon Ismail, who is the host of Man Up. What's up, Eamon? What's up, Josh? It's great to have you, and I love the show. And the reason that we're featuring it in our feed, actually two reasons. Number one, good audio content. Yep. (laughs) Got to have quality audio content for the people. Number two is that there is a sports theme and a sports focus on this show. You talk to a guy who was a championship boxer and is now a boxing coach. So can you just explain a little bit how you got to this guy and why he was the perfect figure for your first episode. I first heard about Eric Kelly uh, through Instagram. He posts these really, really funny videos of his, of the, his clients, people that he trains. But way before that, he was a favorite to go to the Olympics in Sydney, Australia. So I was so curious how someone who can, uh, can go from being the number one boxer to being kind of like this meme artist, right? He grew up in uh, Brooklyn in, in the 80s during the crack epidemic where fighting in the street was necessary. He, you, he channeled that energy into the boxing ring and became one of the top boxers in the country. This guy became a professional boxer because of his ability to survive outside of the ring. It was that same energy, that same wanting to fight or needing to fight outside of the ring that would end his career. He ended up getting into a bar fight in Michigan where someone swiped a pool cue across his eye and injured him permanently, uh, which instantly ended his career and ended his, his chances at actually competing in the Olympics in the future. Yeah. And so the theme of this series is um, it's about masculinity. It's about what makes a man. And there's an interesting conversation in the show that I won't spoil, but there's a distinction drawn between being a man and being a good man that I thought was Mm -hmm. really um, thought provoking. Um, And as I was listening to the show and thinking about this series and how it's going to kind of grow and expand as a person who comes out of like a sports mentality. Um, just thinking about locker room talk and no crying, uh, uh, in baseball, you know, that that was in a league of their own, (laughs) but, um, so many, um, tropes in our culture that have to do with masculinity and manhood come from sports. And I just feel like that's going to be a totally rich subject area for you. Yeah. I I mean, I was there. I played football and basketball in high school. And I was one of those kids who would also ridicule other kids for crying and showing weakness. So I think I am in this position where I'm curious. I want to learn. I want to understand my own masculinity better. And I can't do that on my own. That's why this whole podcast exists. I want to talk to other people and have them share their stories so that I can reflect on my own and and hopefully ultimately introduce myself to more complex and nuanced ideas about what masculinity could be and uh and and draw a path for myself to make myself into a better man. Yeah, and another thing that just occurs to me as as we're talking about it is that as we've made so much progress um in terms of LGBTQ visibility um, and folks being able to be true to themselves in all like realms of life, that sports is really one of the last frontiers there. And I think that has to do so much with our perceptions of 
masculinity and what kind of man you can and should be if you are an athlete. Yeah. Uh, so only one episode is out so far. Uh, and I've already learned so much about myself and these ideas of where sports and masculinity intersect. But we're going to be producing a lot more episodes uh, in the future. We're, it's going to drop once a week. Uh, usually comes out on, well, it will come out every Wednesday. And I have a lot of goals and ambitions, and I'm going to see how far we can push the envelope. Uh, just because I think we can, we have so much to learn from everybody. And all of those stories will ultimately not only make me a better man, but uh, introduce the audience to some different ideas about what they thought masculinity could be. And the show's called Man Up. If you like what you hear in our feed um, today, then subscribe. Uh, as Eamon said, it comes out uh, every Wednesday as an episode a week, and I'll definitely be listening. Thanks a lot, Eamon. Thanks, Josh. All right, here is episode one of Man Up. Enjoy. I'm out in Detroit, Michigan, having fun, shooting pool in the pool hall. And, you know, some people, they want to gamble. You know, not $10 a ball or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And no, I'm like, nah, words got to change. And I got into a fight. I had to fight. They tried to get me. I had to fight them off me. I'm trying to save myself. And one of them grabbed me. Another one took the pool cue and swiped the pile right across my right across my head. Look at my eye in the corner. My yeah, I, I, I know you know. Mm-hmm. My eyes droopy. Almost lost my eyelids into my career. My kids don't even know how I look. They never see me with two eyes. This happened when I was 23. I had my first kid when I was 27. Damn. My kids don't even know how I look. Eric Kelly is telling me about a fight from decades ago, but even now, with his towering presence and gigantic fists, it's hard imagining anyone actually wanting to fight him. At that point, he was one of the top-ranked boxers in the country, a favorite to go to the Olympics. But one brutal bar fight would change that. We talked in between his trips to the hospital, where his fifth kid, Sebastian Kelly, was born hours earlier. The kid's nickname? Bash. Even now, Eric holds on to these old ideas about when to fight and why all men have to be willing to do it, at least if they want to be considered a man. I wanted him to explain why. I'm Eamon Ismail, and this is Man Up. On this show, we tell honest, embarrassing, funny, and sometimes disturbing stories that have shaped how we think about being men. I wanted to do this because I've always had this vague fear that I'm not man enough. I'm from this community of immigrant Muslims in Newark, New Jersey, so I mostly saw patriarchal families whose roles were clearly prescribed. There was never a doubt about what a man was supposed to be. But now that I'm older and starting a family of my own, I'm realizing I don't want to be that guy exactly. I'm looking at what's going on around me and the relationships I see between men and their families, men and other men, men and women, in the news, in our culture. So now, with these stories, I'm investigating where our ideas about manhood come from to figure out what kind of man I do want to be. This week, we're going to hear a story about a guy who first learned to fight to survive in his neighborhood. I can relate. I threw hands a few times growing up. Sometimes it was just for fun. But other times, it felt necessary. Eric Kelly's life was shaped by that one bar fight in Detroit. I wondered when I talked to him, if it changed this perspective. I remember one day my mom had sent me a box of G.I. Joe's. I used to love G.I. Joe's. 
It was 1990, and Eric was the new kid on the block. His family had just moved to Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn from Florida. And I'm talking way before those cupcake shops. I'm not. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm in the old Brooklyn. I'm not in gentrified Brooklyn. Eric was 10. He played in the local park. The kids weren't like his friends back home. Would you believe action figure by action figure, they took my toys. No lie, they took my toys. And they would just take off running and say, hold on, let me go, let me go right to the swim work and don't come back. Mm. And now I'm trying to chase them to get my toy. I leave the other toys there. Somebody go and grab the other one and run. They took my toys. Damn. And I had picked up a chain. It was a chain. Like that went to a bicycle. It was a chain. And I turned into the fifth Ninja Turtle. I was Niganato. And I was swinging the chain. You feel me? They wasn't going to They wasn't gonna get me. As I'm fighting, my stepmom walks down the street and see me in the park fighting, swinging the chain. And she said, all right, y'all, leave him alone. He going to kill you. <laughs> I'm 10 years old. I also got into fights at that age. It seemed normal, right? Fighting was a rite of passage. Like a lot of us, Eric has a ton of stories like this. But he doesn't call it fighting. He calls it surviving. I was good at surviving. His father eventually intervened. He signed Eric up for boxing classes to keep him busy and away from trouble. Here's what I'm curious about, right? So you didn't want to have to fight for your toys. You didn't want to have to fight for, for just time to be outside. But then boxing happened, right? Yes. Tell me how that translated from being just like this thing you had to do for survival into a sport that you were, you were bringing into your life. Because um, I was good at surviving at it outside. And that was the confident builder to let me know that I can do it inside. I said, well, this guy I'm about to box, he can only use his hands. The guy that I was dealing with outside used his hands, his feet, used a chain, used a bottle, whatever, a stick, whatever he can get in his hand, he used it. And I was able to survive that, so this going to be a cakewalk. Don't get me wrong. The boxer wasn't a cakewalk. Yeah, you lost your first two matches. I, I was very wrong yeah. because they teaching you how to throw the punches. And when they teach you how to throw the punches in boxing, that's when you got the right power on the end of the punches. Mm. You feel me? One guy hit me. I'm, I'll never forget it. I threw the right hand, and he came over with the left hook. Pow! And hit me, and my leg got hot. My I like yo, I don't I don't know what happened. My leg got hot. It just heated up. It's the nerves. Eric's boxing career exploded. He became the 1998 USA boxing under 19 champion. He was still in high school. I'm the talk of the school. I'm ranked number one in the USA. Who else in the school is ranked? The teacher ain't even ranked number one. The teacher ain't even ranked number one in this house. <laughs> It's messed up. I'm on top of the world. Can't nobody tell me nothing. He earned a full scholarship to the United States Olympic Education Center and went on to become the 1999 American Boxing Classic champion. In 2000, he was the National Golden Gloves champion. He was ready to prove that he was the greatest fighter in the world. Man, I'm going to get emotional here because now I'm the top guy in the country. And... A favorite to be a part of the Olympic team And then my father gets real sick I don't want to really talk about it in too much detail here on the podcast Because 
it's going to be it's crazy you know somebody he went blind um he had a couple strokes and the doctors didn't think my dad was going to live my dad spent the whole summer of 2000 the whole summer of 2000 fighting for his life i'm trying to fight to make the olympic team mm-hmm. same year I, st- I started this like I fell up short on making the Olympic team. Um, I was the Olympic alternate, so I was second. Um, I go back to school. I'm a whole nother person. I'm meaner now, more aggressive. You know what I'm saying? My temper's shorter. I started getting into a whole lot of fights, a whole lot of fights, a whole outside the ring, um, hitting people with bottles. And I was at a party one night. And the boxing team and the football players always had beef with each other. We always, egos, egos. But That just sounds petty. Super petty. And and I'm at the party, and I get into it with one of the football player kids. And I hear, you know, everybody used to load the red and blue Dixie cups that they keep their beer in. I snatched the cup out of his hand, give me a cup. And I spilled the beer on his head and made him wear the cup as a hat. I said, grab that doorknob. If you let that doorknob go, I'm going to knock you the fuck out. Around 10 minutes later, I see him dancing with a girl. Oh, this motherfucker, I'm going to let the doorknob go. Crack. I went right across his shit. Damn. And I, and, I, and I think I broke his nose or his jaw or something. Something was broke. And I got kicked out of the program. Come to find out, the guy that I hit, he was the son of the director of the program. That was his son. I didn't even know that. That was the director. Like you're just causing all this mayhem. Man. Mayhem. It sounds inevitable. Crazy. Cra- nigga, I ain't told you shit yet. I mean, I fought, but never like that. I can't imagine walking around picking fights with strangers. But I also can't relate to what Eric must have been going through with his father. Got kicked out of school. Now I got kicked out of college. I lost Damn. my scholarship. I'm a whole nother person. I'm still fighting. still doing things because I know how to box. And I got that pent-up anger and aggression in me. So my fights is just another outlet to, you know what I'm saying, to get that out of me. That one altercation that happened to change my life. I was at a party. <laughs> Market, bitch. You should just stop going to parties. And man. we go to the hockey house. And we went crazy on those hockey players. Why? Depressed, stupid, ignorant. And I'm laughing, joking, talking, telling the story. But I don't condone it. I don't support it. I regret it. it, it my life is nothing compared to what it could have been. Yeah. And now I got I to gotta deal with that. I got to live with that. Eric does seem like he enjoys telling these stories. But there's an obvious pain in there, too. I could see it on him. You could hear it in his voice. I can't go back home because... What's waiting for me at home, emotionally, I can't can't deal with it. You know what I mean? What's going on at home? My dad is sick. He's fighting for his life. Yeah, fighting for his life. Mentally, I couldn't deal with it. I was weak. I wasn't man enough to be the man that I needed to be for my family or that I needed to be for myself at the time. I wasn't man enough for that. And today, if he got sick again like that, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm 38 years old, and I'm more of a man now, but it's still going to kill me. It'll kill me again. Yeah. But I'm going to fight through it right now because I learned from the mistake in the past not to go. I know I know what not to do now. I know what not to do. I know not to 
go back to the crazy shit that I was on before. Slate is hosting a festival on June 8th. You'll get to have breakfast with the team behind Slate's LGBTQ podcast, Outward. This is going to be the cutest brunch ever. Have a family playdate with mom and dad are fighting. Leave your kids with Carvel and then come hang out with me at the bar. Wade through a pop culture mystery with Decoder Ring. Get ready for unexpected stories and sounds. Things might get a little bit weird. Delight in some political comedy with Trumpcast. Uh, this is going to be the best improv skip in the history of improv. And close a night out with a hit parade dance party. I am already putting together the playlist for Slate Day. And there's much more from The Gist, What Next, Spoiler Specials, and tons of other Slate podcasts and personalities. Don't miss Slate Day on June 8th in New York City. Get info at slate.com slash slate day 2019. That's slate.com slash slate day 2019. So I just started listening to Pod Save the People, and I feel like I just have to tell you about it. It's Crooked Media's weekly podcast hosted by educator and activist DeRay McKesson. Pod Save the People features this incredible news crew of activists, Brittany Packnett, Samson Youngway, and Clint Smith. It provides this distinct lens to what's happening in the world, with a special focus on news that most people will overlook, including the criminal justice system and the policies that impact people of color. Every week, there's a one-on-one interview with DeRay and a special guest. He's talked with singer-songwriter John Legend, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and even Congresswoman Maxine Waters. I found the conversations to be very informing and also inspiring. Pod Save the People comes out every Tuesday, so subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. When I was 16, I transferred to another school outside of Newark. When another Arab kid tried to bully me, My first instinct was to fight, so I kicked his ass, and it felt good. It made him stop. But when my family found out what happened, they treated me like a little kid, hardly like a big man. My mom was disgusted, and I started to think twice about fighting. As an adult, I've mostly shaken that off, but I still wonder if I hold on to that instinct more than some other guys. Sometimes, I still want to hit people in those tense moments. At times, it feels like I'm one bad night away from what happened to Eric. And Eric was about to lose that one person who might have actually set him straight. As his downward spiral continued, he struggled to hold on to his future. He wasn't ranked number one anymore. He wasn't even ranked in the top ten. Now I'm down to number zero, number nothing. Then one night, the fight in Detroit happened. A pool cue to the eye meant permanent nerve damage. Just like that, his career was over. His eye is still the first thing most people notice about him. It was the first thing that I noticed. The promoters see me as a wounded fighter. I'm a wounded fighter. Eric now owns and operates his own boxing gym in the South Bronx. He was never able to compete again, but he trains and coaches other fighters. He also runs this program for kids who are growing up the way that he did. If a young guy gets picked up off the street for fighting he might get brought to the gym to deal with Eric instead of going to jail. And if that sounds like the kids are getting off easy, then you don't know Eric. You come in here, you, you got blood. You literally got blood. Somebody, while you, while you at the desk trying to sign up, somebody is 10 feet away from you in the rain getting the shit knocked out of him. <laughs> That's what's going on in this gym. Damn. 
This is therapy. It's therapy. It's release therapy. This is where the next champion is gonna come from. That's crazy. This is also a gym where I we keep kids off the streets mm -hmm. and away from gun violence and drugs. I got a program that I do with the 40th precinct called I call it pizza box. So what I do, I train the kids, they get a good workout, order some pizzas. I don't know what the kids are going home to, but I know there's a lot of poverty. I know that there's a whole lot of poverty. So at least you're gonna, you know, I got a meal for you, you ate something, get a couple slices of pizza, soda, work out, train, do your thing here. Eric was once called the most hilariously abusive boxing coach in a headline. You can see why he doesn't even want to turn it off sometimes. Still, I want to get to the root of some of his bravado. I don't know, I feel like violence itself, uh, it carries so much weight in the communities where, where people have to fight. And then when you get older, people tell you, no, don't fight, be a bigger man, do this, do that. Um, you know, sometimes you just have to. It's not up to you. In life, you need violence. Nothing keeps a man more humble than an ass whooping. <laughs> I'm for real. But it has to be controlled, obviously. You can't be going, I don't believe in going around bullying people. I don't believe, but I also don't believe in letting people disrespect you. Mm. You can't keep turning your back because then you become a target. You turn your back, you're going to become a target. And then people are going to keep egging you on, keep egging you on, keep egging you on. How many times are you going to turn your back? But I look, I look back at those times with sadness, right? I'm not proud of the fact that I had to fight. I see those times as... Uh, as, as sad only because I felt like I wish I didn't have to fight, you know? I'm not saying that you got to be proud of it, but you got to be a man. You can't keep being a victim. You never know what may happen one day. You never know who is going to decide to get up and punch you in the face for no reason. He don't even know you. There's a lot of sick people out here. And if you don't know how to defend yourself, and if you'll you be don't know how to victim. defend yourself, Yep. You SOL. You know what I'm saying? You up shit's creek without a paddle. Yeah. If you don't know how to defend yourself, I know people 30 something years old, 40 something years old, never had to defend themselves in their life because it's a demographic thing. If you're 25, 30 years old and you ain't never been in a fight before, you never had to protect yourself. How do you know how much of a man you are? Think about it. Mm. You've never had to protect yourself in times of adversity. Back against the wall. No weapons involved. Just your hands. Yeah. Just their hands. And they foot up your ass. Headbutt, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. What are you going to do? Is it possible to not get into a fight but still be a man? Is that possible? Can't you have to be in a fight to know you, how much of a man you to. are? Uh, here's here's my perspective. In times of adversity, you got to go. Let right. me tell you. Let me, let me I've been in the fights when I was a kid, but I didn't really start to feel like a man until I got older, right? Yes. That was the thing. It's like we're still little kids. We're still fighting. We're fighting all the time. We know who's the toughest. We yes. We we know how to like how to test each other, yes. whatever. But we didn't really. That didn't turn us into men. What turned us into men was finding like figuring out how to uplift each other. When we first got jobs, when we were buying shit for each other because we knew the other person couldn't eat. Yeah. That, that's what made somebody a man yeah. the big the coolest kid on the block wasn't the kid that could fight the hardest it was the kid that was making sure everybody else had something to eat 
Let me tell you something. That's that's what I'm saying. Like that. That's what makes you a good man. So why can't listen to me talk to All you? Right, go ahead. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> what you just described to me is right, and it's a necessity, and it should be practiced. All day, every day. I practice it. Mm. That's what makes you a good man, a good person. You think the world's filled with good people? No. What you just described to me makes you a good person. Oh, he's a good-hearted guy. He's a nice guy, respectable guy. But <laughs> there's a but. Got to be a but. It's got to be, be a but. but. Had to be a but. You got this dickhead <laughs> out there. That just mm-hmm. pitched your wife. Because people is crazy. Let me it's, tell you something. I'm about to show you something right now. Hold on. What? I was speaking to one of my kids. He sent me this December 1st. Yo, what happened? I got jumped. Mm. When? Da da da. Right now, they try to slice me. Yo, but look what he sent me. Eric shows me this photo of one of his kids in his program. It's a selfie. He's probably 13 or 14 with a huge bloody gash running up the whole side of his neck up to behind his ear. They jumped him. You don't think he had to fight for his life? Look look how close that is to his throat. They tried to get his throat. You don't think he tried to you don't think he had to fight for his life? I'm telling him to get your ass in the gym. You you see what my reply was? Get your ass in the gym. You don't think he tried to fight? Like this little world that Make believe world that you people made up. Oh no, we 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 love everyone. Yeah, okay, that's how it's supposed to be. But what goes as it's supposed to be? You're a human. I'm a human, and we make mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. We fuck up, right? You don't think it's gonna be a fight? If it ain't, if 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 there's not gonna be a fight, that means everything is perfect. You know, a perfect world. Use your head for more than a hat rack. Get into a fight. Yo. You gotta fight. You gotta learn. Right. Don't pick one. No. Go to the gym. Mm. Go take jujitsu. Come to my gym, South Box Gym. It's about not putting yourself in that circumstance. But if you're in that circumstance, you know how to handle yourself. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with insurance? Huh? I worried about what Eric was saying that to be a man you had to be willing to fight I don't think that's true for every man but for people like Eric who needed to fight so often that it became the basis of his identity it took a lot more for him to let go of violence as a baseline as I get older those impulses are disappearing for me and to be honest with you that direct line between violence and manhood nowadays feels like it's been keeping me from growing but the truth is I know exactly what Eric is talking about it's how we came up That's how a lot of kids do. Next week, we're going to talk about how boys learn about sex. My guest will be someone who went through her teens as the only girl in her circle of friends, an experience that led to her to teach sex ed as a calling. If you want to join in on the conversation, call 805-MAN-UP-07 or 805-626-8707. And leave me a message about where you got your first ideas about what sex is, or what it's supposed to be. Man Up is hosted and written by me, Amin Ismail. Our producers are Cameron Drews and Danielle Hewitt. Our executive producers are Jeffrey Bloomer and Lowen Liu. Gabriel Roth is the editorial director of Slate Podcasts. 
and June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts. TJ Raphael is the senior producer of the Slate Podcast Network. You can email me at manupslate.com and tell me what you think of the show and offer suggestions. Is there a conversation you think we should have? Let us know. And please leave a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. We'll be back next week with more Man Up. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. <laughs>